Hello and welcome. I'm Sean, noob of all trades from Two Generations Gaming. Whether you meant to or not, you found Noob's Book Club. In this series, I am reading and reacting to Jurassic Park. It's been quite a while since I've done this series. A month and a half at least, maybe even two months. But I'm finally ready to sit down and start recording again and get it back on track. Therefore, I will release this episode, episode two, today on Wednesday... And episode three will come out on Saturday, and then we will go back to our usual Wednesday-Saturday release schedule. And then I can't remember what I was going to do after Jurassic Park. I think there was a book that my wife mentioned that she wanted me to read, so perhaps I will do that one after Jurassic Park. Otherwise, I will look for another one. I'm definitely going to do a movie versus for Jurassic Park, so maybe I'll do that right after this one. And then as I'm reading, as I'm thinking about it, I will come up with... The next book for the series. This is the second iteration. With subsequent drawings of the fractal curve, sudden changes may appear. And that is Dr. Ian Malcolm's quote for the second iteration. The shore of the inland sea. Alan Grant, he's a digger, works patiently and gently to excavate a skeleton in Montana. You'll never get Grant out of Montana. Sorry. I said I was doing movie verses later. Someone calls his name to get his attention. He looks around and muses on how much he loves being in this part of the country. The voice repeats his name, and he stands. Visitor! Ellie Sadler, his young colleague, points out a blue Ford sedan, kicking up dust on its way to their camp. He again muses, this time about how paleontology became more relevant to modern society. As things change, people wonder how the Earth responded to such things in previous eras. So, he makes his way to meet the visitor. Bob Morris, EPA. He remarks about the tents. Grant explains that it's just the best way to live in the desert. Morris asks how long they've been in the area. 60 cases. Beer, he means. 63, Ellie corrects him. Grant introduces her. Paleobotanist. They talk a little bit about their operation. Morris makes the comment that he thought dinosaurs are big. Yeah, but they had babies. Grant then invites Morris to his quote-unquote office, a sofa at the other end of the trailer. Crichton gives some description of Grant as an old school guy who sneers at the nouveau riche hunters. They get right to the point. The EPA has concerns about the Hammond Foundation, one of their funders, $30,000. What does Grant know about them? Grant shrugs. They fund a lot of dino research. Do you know why? Hammond is a dino nut? Have you met him? Once or twice, yeah. A decent guy, eccentric. Rich people are always eccentric, right? Why? Well, they only fund digs in the North. Morris and his colleagues find that strange, and want to know why. Grant looks through the maps that Morris shows him. Morris asks what might be the connection between dinos and amber. Amber? Morris explains. I know what amber is. Why mention it? Well, Hammond is stockpiling this stuff. Grant shakes his head. Weird. There's also an island off Costa Rica. I don't know anything about that. Interesting. Apparently he took a consultant fee related to it. What? Morris shows him. He says, oh yeah, but that had no connection to an island as far as I knew. Some expedition about Grant's history in Montana and how it led to his fame as a paleontologist. Ever heard of InGen? Morris asks. No. How did Hammond contact you? Phone call. Gennaro's or Genino? Yeah, Donald Gennaro. Legal counsel for him. And for InGen. They wanted to know about the eating habits of juvenile dinosaurs. We had very little information, but he offered $50,000, so I gave him what we had. Ever met Gennaro? Only on the phone. Why do you need all that info? They were starting a museum featuring young dinosaurs. What did you send him? I sent him what we had. How did Gennaro respond? 
kept calling for more information. I got sick of it and told him to take a hike. Settled for $12,000. Nothing else from InGen, but Hammond started funding then. And as far as you know, he's just an eccentric old dino dude? Yeah, why not just ask him? Well, we have no evidence, but I'm pretty sure he's evading the law. Morris lays out his case. First contacted by OTT, Office of Technology Transfer. They shipped three Craze supercomputers, parenthetically, to the island. They also moved 24 hood gen sequencers are there. He tells the story of another genetic engineer experiment going wrong. An inhalable rabies vaccine. Skirt the law in Chile, infect a bunch of people, gets off scot-free. Dodgson! We've got Dodgson mentioned in the story. See, nobody cares. They wrap up with the offhanded comment that Hammond could feed a baby dinosaur with the info that Grant gave him. Ellie and Grant debrief. Both think that Hammond, as an evil genius, is ridiculous. But Ellie said, I took a call. Someone wants you to ID some remains. Skeleton. While Ellie works, she listens to Grant on the phone. Incredulous, he insists that the remains must be a basilisk lizard. However, he agrees to look at them if they send the remains. Their conversation moves on to a discussion of a new skeleton they found. They are excited because it's a velociraptor. They expected to find more pre predators with a number of prey. Now they have. The excitement turns to shock when the facts comes through. That's no lizard, Ellie said. No, Alan agrees. No three-toed lizard has walked the earth for 200 million years. Maybe a hoax? Because it looked like a young Procomsonagthus. As they talk, Ellie becomes more incredulous. Might it be real? Grant follows her incredulity, finally arriving at the only possibilities are a hoax or it's the real deal. Then Hammond calls. What the heck? Ellie asks. Alan puts him on speaker. Hammond goes off about the EPA and then invites them to visit the site in Costa Rica. Grant tries to say no, but Hammond insists. They then bring up the possible copy. That throws Hammond into a minor tizzy, but he recovers and makes an offer to fund their dig for them as a final enticement to get them to come. They relent. Cohen, Swain, and Ross. A quick chapter introducing Gennaro as a lawyer at the firm with the same name as the chapter. They start to lose faith in Hammond and his ability to make everything work. Then Gennaro gets in touch with Grant. They talk about the trip, and then Grant mentions the x-ray. Gennaro seems very interested in that. Plans. A package from Hammond, parenthetically, mentioned in the call, arrives. Grant seems confused. There are architectural plans for a resort, plus a bunch of open space. Like a lot of open space. The mysterious labels. Also electrified fence. None of it adds up. But no time to think about it now. They needed to get back to the dig. The scene from the movie with the computer and Grant's response to it. If you haven't seen the movie, they have a fancy camera that lets them see into the ground without digging. Grant responds with, quote, I hate computers, end quote. The image locates the remains that makes it quicker and easier for them to dig right to the skeleton. They see the velociraptor, they see the velociraptor and it looks like a decent specimen. Somewhat disturbed by time and erosion, but ultimately not bad. Then, another scene like one in the movie. Someone questions the velociraptor. Grant responds that it grew up, and when it did, it could mess you up pretty good. They then discuss the habits of the velociraptor. This gives Crichton a chance to talk about that some. Maybe they acted like lions, a more familiar pack animal. At the end of the chapter, Ellie and Grant leave to catch the plane. And now for a discussion of new characters introduced in this section. New characters galore in this group of chapters. Grant and Sadler. We get the paleontologist's protagonists. I love both of them, especially reading it again as an adult. I relate to Grant's grumpy old man attitude, especially with regards to technology. Sometimes I love living in the future, 
Other times I want to burn it all down. Sadler takes no shit and responds in kind. The whole operation runs smoothly because she has a vision. Furthermore, she knows how to see that plan to the end. They work perfectly together and complement one another. Obviously, and as an author, Michael Crichton can both plan and write it that way. But I still think it's impressive character building. Hammond is a less lovable grandpa and more shady con artist. Crichton tried to give him some charm by playing up his eccentricities. That probably worked in 1993. But given my recent radicalization, I feel nothing but disgust. Maybe his other side will shine through at some point. Gennaro gets a quick introduction as a possible foil. Oh, after all, the next chapter is named for him. Gennaro gets a quick introduction as a possible foil for Hammond and his plans. Also, they name drop Malcolm as one of the visitors. Those are the major players for this section, and ultimately major players for the book. And now for my reaction. What I liked least. I know I already said this, but it bears repeating. I hate Hammond's character. I mean, we're supposed to. He represents every evil that, that Crichton writes about in the introductory chapters. He knows nothing about the science that he's attempting to control. Instead, he's just an ignorant, rich guy who sees his wealth as a virtue. No problem exists that can't be handled with a large enough check. Granted, that ignorance drives the plot and conflict of the story. But just because I understand it doesn't mean I have to like it. I just can't stand ignorance, especially when that ignorance is willful. Granted, the internet wasn't nearly what it is today, but still, you have the ability to inform and educate yourself. Those who don't take advantage of that opportunity are the absolute worst. So, yeah, screw Hammond. And now for what I liked best. An easy, con and an easy contrast, and repeated, I love the Grant Sadler pair. Again, I already gave some of it away in the new character section, but this bears repeating as well. Plus, I needed to wash the taste of Hammond's foul name out of my mouth. In that earlier discussion, I talked about their teamwork and dedication. So let me take this time to contrast them to Hammond in another way. They are experts in their chosen field. They both studied and worked hard to get where they are. Moreover, they didn't rest on their expertise. They continue to study and work to learn more about things that they don't know as much about. If Hammond represents everything wrong with scientific breakthroughs, then these two are all that's right about it. So the lesson here, kids, is stay in school. Trust me. I know that sometimes it feels like a waste. And honestly, sometimes it is. But you will get to a place where you want to learn, and it will motivate you to do just that. Education is the single thing that I truly believe still allows us to achieve the American dream. And now for a discussion on the science. I talked in the previous episode, parenthetically, at least a month ago, probably two. Go back to listen again if you need to, and parenthetical, about the science that Crichton writes about. Other than the discussions of paleontology, parenthetically very interesting, these chapters don't contain nearly the level of science content. While I love paleontology, I put it on the same level as theoretical physics. Heck, at least theoretical physics tell you that the name that they're making shit up. Okay, that's unfair. I can't simultaneously extol the virtues of science and talk shit. Yes, I'm joking. But I tell my students, even if you know you're joking, on some level, you're giving others implicit permission to say those things too. We don't need any more anti-science morons out there. So, here goes my attempt to repair those thoughts. In theoretical physics, you are dealing with concepts that require a lot of discussion and careful consideration. Sometimes only you and maybe half a dozen other people even understand the topic. So they could just make shit up and nobody would know. I mean, the same is true on some level with paleontology. And honestly, sometimes it feels like they are making it up. Luckily, scientists respect their fields and audience enough that they don't simply make shit up. Now, if I make shit on capitalism and those fools for a bit. 
I mean, it's my podcast and I can do what I want. But I want to be courteous and warn you. Contrast the argument I just said with economists. Everyone fundamentally understands those concepts, but they respect nothing. And so capitalists make shit up all the time. And people just let them. Like, what in the name of baby Jesus is cryptocurrency? Simply foolishness. So, scientists, even though you are making shit up to get headlines and grant funding, don't lose sleep doing it. At least you're advancing the cause of knowledge and redirecting the ill-gotten gains into something purposeful and useful. I salute you. And now, a couple final thoughts. Really one final thought. The magic of Michael Crichton. In chapters designed to introduce characters, he also advances the plot and main theme. That theme speaks to my hippie commie heart. And the next chapter is titled Hammond, like I said earlier. So, be prepared for more discussion about the ignorance of unregulated capitalism and my communist propaganda. Talk to you in a few days. So that's episode two, more than a month past episode one. If you need to, go back and listen to episode one again. Episode three will come on time and every other episode after that, provided that I'm alive and kicking. But for now, as always, thanks for listening. You can find us, if you haven't already, at www.twoguysgaming.net. We have articles. I'm doing X-Men this week. I was going to do Marvel vs. Capcom today. The only Marvel vs. Capcom that I can find is Infinite on Steam. It's only 12 bucks, so I might download it just to have some accompanying video when I write the article. But we'll see. I might also wait until tomorrow because I get paid tomorrow. So the article might go up tomorrow. We'll see about that as well. There's also our other podcast, Two Guys Gaming. Chris and I have done three episodes. We were going to do the next episode last week, but I came down with a migraine, so we're supposed to do it this week. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to do December and January or just December. We'll see how things look in January. We might just do a couple of themes this week or this time around. There's also a link to our socials, including our YouTube, which is active again. I'm doing the calendar, and I uploaded a video of me playing the X-Men arcade game from... 1992 or 1993. I'll also put up the video of me playing Marvel vs. Capcom when I get around to it. I will be back with this series on Saturday as promised. I will talk to you then. Bye guys. We are